This is Recognize, a podcast about the NHL's black and biracial hockey heroes, proudly supported by eBay Canada. Ever since I was a kid, I collected hockey cards with spare change my dad gave me. As a black person, to see others like me on the ice inspired me. They were my role models and showed me hockey is a game for everyone. I've collected 100 rookie cards for NHL's black and biracial players, and I'm going to talk to all of them so you can learn their stories. Bolden steals the puck away from Buffett. Coming in, scores! Greg Molden, his second. Greg Molden was born in Massachusetts in 1982. He played for the Columbus Blue Jackets, the New York Islanders, and the Colorado Avalanche. So, Greg, uh, thanks for being on the podcast. It's nice to meet you. Oh, thanks for uh, having me. Nice to meet you, too. Greg, I'm just holding up a little uh, piece of paper, but this is actually a hockey card, and it's your uh, rookie card with Columbus. Now, Columbus is the team you played in um, in your first NHL season, and uh, I'm just checking the year. That would have been around uh, 2003 for Columbus, right? So what comes to mind when you see that photo? Yeah, I was 21 at that point. Um, I guess a young, uh, naive hockey player who thought he he deserved to be there at the time. It's a different game. It's a different game than uh, than ever ever before in college or juniors or anything like that. It's you're you're going against men. You're going against men that could play the game. And a lot of good memories from that time. A lot of uh, a lot of lessons learned in uh, the first couple games there. So we're going to come back to that as we move along. But uh, must mean pretty special, I guess. That first season that you got to play uh, six uh, six games, I believe it was. Yeah, six games following your career at University of Massachusetts Amherst. So, do you remember where that photo was taken? Have you seen that card before? Yeah, or that photo, I guess. I think I'm pretty sure that might have been uh, my first game against Aaron. Yeah, that, so that was my first game. That was, uh, you know, that was kind of a whirlwind of a, of a week. So, so yeah. And uh, were you a card collector growing up? I was. I, I actually was not a huge one. Just kind of the the big names. Uh, you know, I had a bunch of Gretzky's, uh, Pavel Bure's, Stroms. And you still have you still have them? I do. I do. I have them in, uh, in my basement. But it was just like a. It, it was maybe just like a handful. I'd say maybe like twenty to thirty cards that I really cherished, that I really liked, uh, players that I really admired at the time. And are the rec- uh, the Gretzky cards rookie cards? No, I wish. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So you did a little bit of card collecting. And um, let's talk about your first experiences playing hockey. Um, you were born in Holliston, Massachusetts. You want to tell us about uh, your experiences there growing up and what, what it was like growing up in your household? You know, it was, it was good. You know, I grew up in an area uh, in the neighborhood where uh, we had a lot of kids that loved to play roller hockey and rollerblade and street hockey and stuff like that. So um, growing up, I saw and I played roller hockey with all the kids in the neighborhood. My household growing up, I, I grew up in a household of, uh, you know, two loving parents and a sister. Um, we were raised pretty, uh, pretty strict. We also had our fun too. Um, being the son of, of a dad that was in the military, who was in the Navy. Um, before my mom had met my dad, she was in the convent to be a nun. So um, we kind of grew up in a household of, of discipline and that sort of thing. So. 
Um, we understood about the values and working hard, you know, with her being a police officer now, me doing what I'm doing with hockey, it's kind of shown for the most part, uh, hockey just kind of took over because that was the first sport that I saw live to a Bruins alumni game when I was six with my mom and fell in love with it ever since. So those are some really, uh, interesting experiences that you shared with us. I want to touch on the, uh, military experience because one of our previous, uh, guests grew up in Alaska and I wondered, was, was your dad still an active duty located around Massachusetts or, or was it, um, um, he had already sort of, uh, left the military? No, he had already served. Uh, he had left the military before I was born and, um, he was a Navy. It was kind of that way that we were raised though, in a very, I don't want to say super strict cause it, it wasn't, it was very fun and, and loving, but there was definitely a discipline and, and kind of know the rules and things that have to be done. And, and I think it served us well in the long run. A lot of um, character development sounds like. Yeah. So you're the fifth African-American born player to step on the uh, ice in the NHL. Um, according to my research, the vast majority of our players of the 100, you know, a good 80, 90 percent of them are uh, Canadians of African descent. So it's uh, really uh, unique what you've done in terms of um, your experience is really unique, especially with the conversation we're having right now. So. I, I wanted to ask you then, you talked about your experiences growing up um, and six years old, joining the ice and many of the other former players we've talked to, they, they did all kinds of different sports. And, and, and for the most part, were you someone like that? Did you do multiple um, sports when you were a young person? Oh yeah. Um, when I was younger, ran track, uh, played football, played soccer, um, you know, whatever we were doing, you know, riding my bike, we, we did all sorts of sports. I, you know, I was pretty much doing everything. Uh, we played baseball with the kids on the street. Um, we just did everything. Um, you know, I never really just sat there and said, I want, you know, hockey 24 seven. Um, it was, it was fun for me to, to play, but also I enjoyed playing other things and being around my friends. Yeah. And you're, um, born in 1982. So you're, um, you know, your younger hockey is being played in the, late uh, 1990s and you are not too far away from a hockey hotbed including the the Bruins and a bunch of other college programs so I'm sure that had impact on your uh, exposure to the game yeah I mean the Bruins obviously uh, that was the biggest thing I got to watch them all the time uh, you know it was one of those things where I tried to get an extra couple couple minutes to stay up later when I was younger to watch the Bruins play and that sort of thing and I honestly really didn't know too much about college hockey until, you know, I started getting into high school, really. You know, I, I wasn't, it just, I just didn't know about it. You know, I didn't have it on TV. I didn't have it to really watch. But um, going into that, I started getting into college hockey a lot more, a lot, lot more because uh, Mike Greer actually grew up in my town. So having someone like him in my, my hometown and, um, you know, I remember times where I was riding my bike through town and I, he must have just come back from like world juniors or something and I saw him get out of his car with his USA jacket on and me and my buddy rode over to him like hey what oh let's see me your autograph and super nice guy um so having him literally right there in my hometown was was everything to me you know at a young age and even up to my teens until professionally and then um you know when I, my older teens um the Bruins got Anson Carter and so having him there to watch him play all the time was, was huge so um you know not only with the hockey I was pretty fortunate but just with 
um, watch other uh, black hockey players. And then Willie O'Ree, it all kind of aligned. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to pick up on what you said about Mike Greer, who I, I believe has a bit of a family background with the NFL. I think he grew up in Michigan, but then ended up playing for Boston University. And I wrote something last year about, I think there's three prominent players played for Boston University. And, and one of them actually had played uh, in the 1940s or 50s. Um, but, and then Anson Carter, um, Canadian, who played at Michigan State, and as you said, played at Boston, had had the dreads at times when he's playing for Boston. So I think a lot of those things would really uh, connect and relate with uh, your experience. Um, so were there other players um, around the ice picking up the game? And I mentioned that point before about multiple sports, and you probably excelled in other sports, and there are probably other um, black athletes that excelled as well. And, um, you know, you, you know, you talked about a middle-class upbringing and, and no doubt you probably had some other friends who were black who were middle-class. So did you find that there were other um, minorities joining the game round when you played or, or you were one of the very few? Um, not in my town. There, were, there was one other um, who lived in a town over from me, uh, Maddie Owens, uh, ended up playing at UConn for a little bit. But that was really about it. You know, I'd, I'd see him, I would play against him. And yeah, truly, that, that was that was about it. So, you know, I was pretty pretty fortunate uh, when I hit juniors. Um, you know, when you got kids coming from everywhere. Um, and another guy, Sean Ewing from um, Cleveland. And uh, I had Matt Pincheski, who uh, now lives in, in Maine. And they were on my team uh, my first year of juniors, too. So um, to have that kind of situation was, was really special. So there was three of you three players there yeah 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 so it's got to be very pretty um pretty comforting and pretty normalizing yeah it was, it was actually kind of cool yeah kind of half joking around with the coaches all the time because i remember we had uh we had a, a mexican uh, player we had an asian player we had a, a you know a swedish player we had it was like the united nations of of a team and now um, it, it was one of the things that was like oh like not only these guys that look like me but those guys that i never thought would play that are here too and it, and it and it really actually made you know not the experience was ever really super tough or anything for me but it was, it was just kind of nice it was, it was a nice culture shock it was different yeah and the high school competition if you were still playing other sports um you know it's good talking to you being a african-american i would think that the other sports around you you would have seen other athletes or black playing maybe football basketball am, am i right um yeah yeah for sure um you know, I really didn't see that. We're, I was pretty fortunate that my uh, eighth grade was in the high school. So we got to play high school sports in the eighth grade. And that's when I got to see um, other black athletes and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I didn't really like playing other sports as much, to be honest. I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, you know, competition and that sort of thing. But um, hockey was always the number one. So, um you know, playing football, that was obviously, I was going to see other black athletes. Um, during hockey season, probably not in high school, but during the track season, it was, yeah, it was definitely. Um, actually, you know, I, as I say it now in my head, I have to, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, Obi Aduba, who I played with at UMass, but he grew up in the town over from me. You're right. And we actually played high school hockey against each other. Okay. Um, a little bit. And that was actually one of the situations where um, I ended up, no one who he was, but once we got older and played college together, then we got, you know, a lot closer. 
you know, it's you can't run in track and we talk and that sort of thing. But it sounds like in your region there was maybe um, an emergence of more diversity than there had been past years. Had anyone had any conversations about that or any observations like your parents or any friends? Uh, no, it never. You know, like that that kind of stuff never really got brought up until it's usually like in a negative light of some sort. Um, which, you know, I was pretty fortunate enough that didn't happen uh, a ton. You know, uh, I guess I'd say just enough to keep, you know, keep it honest and, and let me realize like I was different. Yeah. Well, those are some uh, neat experiences you've had, that's for sure. So do you recall the first time you started to skate? Can you tell us about that experience? Yeah, yeah, I actually can. I, uh, so I, I went to that Bruins alumni game. They were playing like the Framingham Firefighters or something, and uh, – I, I told my mom I wanted to skate, and actually, you know, they got me some skates from the Salvation Army. And uh, I remember, you know, I drive by the rink all, all the time now, Loring Arena. I went down there, and they signed me up, and I was, saw people doing it, and I just figured, ah, I can do everything. You know, I was six years old. I don't know. I said, oh, my God, I can just do it. I'd step out there and do it. And, uh, yeah, I went out there, and I could just step out there and busted my butt right away, just fell. You know, oh, okay, this is different. You know, it wasn't like nowadays where parents kind of hold you and that sort of thing. It was kind of like just throw them in the water and see what happens. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, I fell down and I, and, uh, you know, years later, I remember my dad saying, you know, thought I'd fall down a few times and that'd be the end of it. But yeah, you, you fall down, I get back up and you kind of feel yourself and work it. But I, I just still remember maybe, I don't know how many weeks later or whatever it was but i remember seeing the instructor one time when my dad was tying my skates just skating around and for some reason at that point a few weeks later i don't even know honestly don't know how long it was but it just clicked with me and in my mind as i tell the story i probably think i was just skating around crossing over going backwards whatnot but in reality i was probably just moving across the ice you know what i mean like just like going forward uh, i remember that being a freeing moment in my life be able to do something that a reward that you know I, I worked to get to many people say that's one of the more memorable experience of uh, hockey teaches you to sort of uh, keep working at something and as you said you've fallen and got up and that perseverance it's uh, unique yeah it is so, um, so do you have some memories of your early years you'd like to share in, in minor hockey some memories that stand out oh I have some I have some good ones and bad ones I mean I think probably from the, you know, one when I was playing goalie, it was my first year playing, uh, actually playing, playing goalie, and it was a one-on-one game, and some kid shot it from down the other end, just trying to clear the puck, and he scored on me somehow. Uh, that was a pretty terrible memory. It was like on like the key, like the local TV too, so that, that was embarrassing. Like <laughs> you can hear everyone laughing. And, oh. How old was How old was that? I might have been like eight, yeah. maybe. You know, was, everyone's laughing. You lose yeah. the game two to one, and you look, it's just that was, yeah. yeah. My dad was so, laughing at that one too. So then, did you move on to competitive hockey at what age? Uh, I didn't really. I, so I stayed in house league for three years um, just because we didn't know anything about hockey. Like, we didn't know. So my first year was what it might be, and then the next year was um, I made my A's. And then we were going into squirts, and I ended up making the A team right away. Um, with some of the older kids and it was very like oh you know how am I going to do or whatever and uh, you ended up leading the team in scoring and we, you know we're a really good team um, but then people started you know saying to my dad like hey he should 
go to this and travel for this and blah, blah, blah. And maybe he can squeak in one game and see how he fares in the travel league and, blah, and all this sort of thing. And we had no clue. Like, we thought, like, it was just town hockey. We didn't know anything about AAA or travel hockey. And um, I got invited to play play for one of the worst teams during the same season I was playing with my house team just to try out to see if I liked it. And um, I did pretty well in the in the couple games that I played. And, and then, uh, yeah, we thought, okay, like, you know, House League probably isn't for you. But, you know, people are like, it's probably not for you anymore. It's, um, you know, you're scoring a lot and, it, and it's good and all, but it's just, you're not going to get any better if that's what you want to do. So we're, we're pretty fortunate that someone kind of tipped us off on some trials and that sort of thing. It was amazing. So what position did you play and what type of player were you? At that age, um, I kind of, I really didn't have position. I just played whatever. I honestly, I was playing wing. I was playing center. I, you know, a couple years later, I played some defense just because you know, guys were injured. Um, at the time, I was just, I honestly hadn't really changed too much. I was just a guy that could skate. I was, I was really faster than everybody. Um, and I, I thought, you know, I was really a team player. Yeah, I think it, I think my game then hasn't overly changed when I think about my game now. Except, you know, you get older, you get more physical, like that sort of thing. But it it didn't. It was just one of those things where I always wanted to be the fastest on the ice. I always wanted to, you know, just use my speed on and create chances, whether it was offense or defense. So, um, do you want to mention any of the people who you recall uh, influenced your development as a hockey player along that journey between? the younger years up to uh, college? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to the <laughs> kind of the, the coaches that cut me when I was trying my first travel team, um, who actually ended up, I ended up working for him. He owns the rink in, uh, in Marburg, about like where we were at Renfro. Um, they cut me back to back years from those travel teams. And it was honestly the best thing that ever happened to me because those teams were stacked. They were so good. They never lost. And it didn't, I wouldn't have learned anything, right? You know, you're always playing. You're just part of the part of the juggernaut of a guy that's, and um, you know, I learned through through him because he's been taking this team about how bad did I really want to play hockey? Did I still love the game because I was cut and disciplined to work harder? So I ended up making a team that was like a 500 team, and that coach um, Bill Demidek, he played at Maine, and um, actually ended up rooming with his son at UMass my first my first year. But he taught me a lot about the game, um, you know, about the game in itself on just some of the nuances of skating and, and back checking and how to work hard and that sort of stuff. So he'd be one guy um, in my earlier years. And then um, as I got up to juniors, um, it'd be Pete and Chris Masters from the Junior Bruins um, and Bill Riga. Those guys um, took me in pretty much when no one else wanted me after juniors and um, saw something in me and um, pushed me probably harder than, um, you know, pushed me harder than even at some points in our, you know, as we've talked older that they were like, well, I can't believe we, we actually kind of did that. But um, I never, I never hated them for it or whatever. I, I was, I was very focused on my goals and um, they were, they were great for me. So I'd say those two, those 
those people for sure my younger years were were a huge influence in the actual hockey world i mean obviously i could go down the route of you know my dad and that sort of thing i mean like any any hockey player the you know all the trips all the practices all the wake-ups but not only that though it was i, I think he he found a love for it himself um you know he had a video camera and i think it was very rare that he didn't record one of my games and in doing so it was never for him to critique me it was for me because i loved watching and it was almost like my own film session before film session was a big thing and it was it was something that that i liked to do he liked we like to watch them together and he didn't know hockey at all. He, he didn't know. So it wasn't like, you're like, Oh, you got to do this. You got to do that. He was just like, well, you know, what do you see here? What are you thinking? Like, and it was just all, it was, it was all in good fun. It was never a crazy hockey dad type thing. Yeah. And I, I think that's important to note because some people that aren't as familiar with hockey, sometimes there's horror stories of the hockey experience, but there's the positive side of the uh, relationship between parents and their children and other parents and other parents and also uh, the community you build in terms of the friends friends you make it's a unique experience compared to other sports yeah i mean it really is uh, you know i guess you could say that with all the sports now they all have the travel team and stuff like that but there's just something about hockey that's it's always i think like it's always been that way before the other sports I, I don't know like you know in the hotel playing mini sticks um going out to eat having their sleepovers playing you know, two or three games in a day when you're that young, you know, being so tired that, you know what I mean? You just pass out and, you know, you get dressed in the back of the car, trying to switch and that sort of stuff. There's, there's a lot of good memories that are just had, um, you know, uh, and, you know, from being from Boston playing, you know, long car rides to Montreal or Ottawa or Toronto, play um, some tournaments and that sort of thing. And then driving back and realizing, oh crap, there's a lot of good players everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And hockey also has that um, takes a little bit longer to get ready. The coach often addresses the team. Sometimes there's an intermission when you're playing younger, so you're together again as a team. Then you go out together. So there's a different uh, components of it compared to other sports. Yeah, for sure. So talk, share with us then your experience leading up to the year where you, I assume, get a scholarship at the University of Massachusetts. Tell us about what led to that uh, scholarship, the, the months leading up or years leading up. Well, that was, um, so I guess I, I would start with, uh, my sophomore year in high school, um, I was playing varsity. I ended up leading the league in scoring and it, some people had said, Hey, like you got to get out of here. You're, you're killing the league. Um, you, know, you can't do this for another two years. You're not gonna get any better. It's not gonna be fun for you. All this, that, and the other thing. And my dad was very much against, not against it, but he didn't want me to be um, a small fish in a big pond playing juniors and maybe getting lost and leaving and because he didn't know he he just didn't know how good I was if I was any good you know comparative um so then I convinced him to let me travel for uh, a junior team um, I got cut from that team but then the junior Bruins picked me up say hey we on our midget team you're not gonna you might not play on our junior team but you'll practice with both um so that year I that summer when I made it I trained with uh the head coach Five times a week, uh, I took care of myself. I, I was working at the hockey rink to get extra ice time, shooting pucks all the time. Um, you know, and then when the season started, I was practicing with both teams 
going from one ice sheet literally right to the next, doing the same practice. I ended up doing really well with the midget team. And then by, I don't know, September, pretty early, I got a chance to play. Uh, I had, a, had an assist in the third period and I had the game winning goal in overtime. And then uh, I just really didn't look back. And after that game, school started you know, asking the coach, who is this kid? Where did he come from? Blah, blah, blah. Um, no one ever heard of me as my, and then I ended up finishing that season uh, top 10 in the league in scoring, uh, despite missing almost a month and a half. That one, I led my team in scoring and put an MVP and most valuable player and rookie of the year and all that stuff. And then it was just kind of trying to figure out what would be the best fit for me for, for school. Um, so I knew, uh, going into my senior year that I'd be set for school. It was just that whole summer going into it. I was trying to figure out where I wanted to go and what was going to work best for me. And then took a couple trips to uh, some of the schools, some of the schools that I really wanted to go to that I really loved. Uh, growing up, like Boston College, I loved it. Growing up, always wanted to go there. Stepped foot on campus, and I remember looking at my dad, and I'm like, I can't come here. He said the same thing. Um, UMass was terrible. They last in hockey East, brutal. Like they, they couldn't win. But it was it was a fit for me, cultural like for the culture wise, and and what they were trying to do there. And um, it was pretty easy for me to to make that decision to commit to, to UMass. Hmm. Even so though, tell us about that. Then you mentioned the Boston College. Why wasn't it a fit for you? It just wasn't the type of people that I would ever hang out with. It, it wasn't my type. It was, um, you know, I, and there's a lot of people that I do get along with from Boston College, but it seemed to me at the time on my visit, it was very preppy and, um, yeah, I just wouldn't have fit in. I wouldn't have fit in with the hockey players that went there. With, no disrespect to those guys, but some of their dads were, you know, politicians that had money and blah, blah, sort of. And it just, and it wouldn't have been my thing. It just wouldn't have been. And the people that I knew that were going to UMass were guys that were more blue collar guys that just, I, I knew I'd get along with. I had um, a lot of friends from my high school were still going there. We're going to, we're going to UMass and, and I'd been there before and I just thought that this was the best fit for me um, hockey wise and for my overall experience of, you know, like being around like people like that I would connect with. That's something common with. Yeah. Well, that's great that you had that foresight to find that fit. Uh, did you ever consider going outside of uh, the state? And um, your development, I guess, would have been at a point where it would have been, because some American players do elect to play the uh, Canadian Hockey League, but usually that's a little bit younger. It's usually at uh, 16 years old. You have to make that decision. Sounds like your development was sort of peaking yeah. at 18, right? Yeah. Well, kind of like I said, though, I like – I had a one guy when I was in high school try to tell me about the Quebec Major Junior League. I had no, we, we just found out about junior hockey in the States. I had no clue about that whole thing. And he was like, yeah, uh, he was talking to me about like Halifax Moosehead and all this stuff. And I was getting all, and I started getting all these like, these like flyers and I could take a couple of visits. I'm like, I don't even know what this is. Like, is it any good? You know, I didn't know. I, I had no clue. That's how behind her I was. So, I never really considered doing that. Um, going to college outside of uh, Massachusetts would have been different just because I'd watched Hockey East for so long. And with everything going on at home, uh, so my dad ended up having cancer into my sophomore year of high school for well, that whole junior year. And then the thought of something happening and me being out of state, um, was really 
I wouldn't say narrowed my decisions because I didn't really want to go anyways, but it made it pretty, you know, pretty solidified yeah, that I was more stay. comfort staying close to home. Right. Yeah. So then looking at the statistics, you fare very well in University of Massachusetts Amherst, uh, 33 games, first season, 24 points, 36 games, second season, 41 points, third season, 29 games, 29 points. And just for uh, the listener's sake, that that's usually what a standard season is in college hockey, like 35 games, lots of practicing. So it just it just seems like you hit the gate running. There was no uh, no slowdown in terms of your uh, performance. And how, how was the team doing? Like, what was your experience over those three years? Was the team successful? Uh, my first year going in before I got there, where they finished last in hockey East, my freshman year, um, finished last in hockey East, but it, it was kind of the, the part of the recruiting was for me going there was try to turn the culture around and be one of the, you know, key cogs in doing that. So, um, going in my, after my freshman year and, you know, I thought it was going to be, you know, end up being a pretty good freshman year. And, you know, I got drafted after that, that season. Uh, we had a couple good recruits coming in, and um, that next year we just took off. I don't know what happened. Like the the school got like we started winning games, and you start winning games, and then you know people start noticing you guys around, you notice us around campus. They start coming to the games. Then we start you know winning some big games against teams that we hadn't previously won against. Um, and then by my junior year, um, since we had made it to the semifinals uh, my sophomore year, that that junior year t- people were expecting big things out of us. Uh, unfortunately, I had, went through some injuries there, so I couldn't play in all the games. But um, I was able to make it back for you know the playoffs, and um, you know ended up losing, unfortunately, to to Maine in triple overtime of the Hockey East Finals. So we went from a team that couldn't even get out of eighth, eighth place for a couple of years to by the time I left, we were you know knocking on the door, you know, one shot away from winning the championship. That must have been pretty gratifying for you to um, to uh, see that progression and that success and. Probably, probably what you envisioned when you signed on as a scholarship player, right? It, it is what I envisioned, but I, I honestly don't. With think, hard work, you envisioned it, right? Yeah, I, but I think what really sticks out to me in that time was um, more, I guess, more my sophomore year. The guys that the the two seniors that we had that were there had been through three straight losing seasons, like hadn't even got a sniff of anything. Um, and then their last year, they, they lose in hockey semifinals. We lose, you know, we're down 2 nothing, make it 2-2, down 4-2, make it, you know, 4-4, four, four, and we end up losing with like three minutes left. But I remember after that game, they were in the locker room, you know, obviously tears in their eyes, they, you know, they think it's going to be their last, it's the last college game. And they just thanked us for making their senior year so special from, all the losing that they'd been doing their whole careers in college hockey to have a shot to play at, you know, at the time it was called the the fleet center the, where the Bruins play and uh, in front of 18,000 fans. Special. And yeah, they just thanked us. And then, um, you know, they just told us, Hey, like you guys, you guys do it next year. And then it's come up one shot away from doing it to do it. Uh, it. It was really tough. But when you start to kind of leave those, those footprints in the sand and, and you see, how far you've come when you look back on it, it, uh, it is pretty special. And, you know, it, it, it's still pretty bitter, but not to finish the whole way, but it, it was mm. really special. UMass, is that uh, the nickname, the Minutemen? 
Okay. Yes, so that's what yes. Dr. J played. This he's got some memorial in the gym there. Yeah. 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 He had, uh, he had there like Marcus Camby had some stuff. I'm sure um, Jonathan Quick has stuff there. Kel Mokur must have something there now. Now. If you're enjoying Recognize and thinking about starting your own hockey card collection, I'd suggest you start with eBay. eBay is all about connecting communities and fueling passions. Because of its thriving card collector community, I was able to make my dream come true by collecting the rookie cards of the NHL's black and biracial players. Start your own collection at ebay.ca slash hockey cards. So I want to emphasize again to listeners your development, you start playing house league, you start playing a hockey, like you're gradually progressing and you really peak. And it just signifies that um, sometimes people feel NHL players are born and identified <laughs> by the time they're 10 years old, but you're, you're not the first, you're one of many people we've spoken to and, and outside of the show that, that uh, that's important for other people to know that it's uh, people develop at different stages and, yeah, they they do. I I think it's funny. I don't even think about it me peaking at a at a later age or anything like that. I was just playing the hockey that was in front of me, and I was I was doing really well there, but it just wasn't the top tier hockey. So I was like, oh, I'm doing well here. I guess that's good. Um, and it was one of those things where I think my dad was very fearful. Like, I don't know how you are. Like when I made varsity in eighth grade, he was like, I don't know. Like those guys are those guys are big. Like you're going almost like eighteen year olds. And, you know, you're barely five, five feet right now. And, you know, and I was like, no, I got to play. I got to play it special to make it the varsity. And like, all right, you know, getting knocked around everywhere. But same thing. Like, I, I didn't know, like, I didn't know what to expect. We were like, it, it's even funny now people talk to me about hockey and they think I was brought up in some hockey family. We had no clue. We, we learned together. I honestly learned how to, I didn't do all the camps either. Like we didn't, I just didn't, we didn't have the money to do it. I did maybe in the spring and fall, we did like a clinic where it was like one time a week, I'd go on a Saturday, work with somebody, like a group of kids. Uh, and then I would go be a kid and ride my bike and play street hockey. But it was very clear to me at a young age for my dad, you know, hey, hockey's an expensive sport. I want you to work hard, have fun, but let's not waste money here. So a lot of stuff that I didn't practice was kind of just built on that was I'm just going to work hard. And then when all the other kids are going to camps and do all this stuff, like it wasn't really... I didn't, I didn't need it because I was doing all the stuff I had to do during the allotment of time during practice. Um, always, always found it fun. I always, and still do always find it fun. It wasn't ever a chore for me. It was never like, oh, man, I got to go to this game and go to that team. It was always enjoyment. Always. Um, yeah. I think, I think your experiences like yours need to be told more because you were, um, hungry and committed the times you're on ice and it sounds like you, you had enough ice and there could be diminishing returns when sometimes people are doing so many extras, even their bodies may not be energized to be committed to all the extra stuff they're doing. So I don't want to say this because I don't want every parent to think they got to watch video 24 seven, but watching the games that my dad recorded, but not having someone in my ear telling me you got to do this, but, but just watching it for myself and just being like, well, and feeling it yourself. And I feel what happens now. I see it a lot. Every kid has a skills coach. They have a backhand coach, a forehand coach, a skating coach, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think you, 
you learn more, you got to feel it on your own, right? You got to feel how, how things that, that's that self-assessment, right? Yeah, you you got to feel those edges on your own, how far you can lean or how it feels for you. Like I could tell you to do a toe drag, but if you don't feel it, you know, on your way and how you can feel it and how like to roll your wrist over and move your body, it, it doesn't matter. It, so you, I think a lot of it is there's a lot of over coaching that goes on and a lot of people like just dishing up the money to thinking that that's going to make their kid and, uh, unfortunately, you know, being a coach at one point, I, I saw a lot of kids that were great one-on-one skill, great, the PP thing and slip under the stick and, but get them to think the game and it's their IQs got out the window. You got drafted after your first year. Tell us about that. Did you see that coming when you got drafted seventh, uh, round 199th overall by Columbus Blue Jackets? So, so it's funny because I was supposed to get drafted the year before out of juniors i was league mvp 106 points everything like that and i thought i was getting drafted for sure that day i sat by the phone like it would ring hell like you know thinking of like i sat there that whole day all nine rounds or whatever it was not a single phone call and i was just like really you know what i mean like really like other guys in the league got drafted and I, you know what i mean and i'm like all right and so after that freshman year and uh it was really good I didn't even care. I, di- I didn't even know. I, like, I knew the draft was happening. Uh, I was actually up in Montreal uh, coaching a AAA team. I didn't even hear my phone ring. I just, I was, cause we had just lost the game. I remember I was talking to kids and then I came out afterwards and I looked down at my phone and it had a, a voicemail. Um, it was from my boss saying, Hey, you just got drafted. Congrats. And I'm just, you know, what? And then I listened to the other message. Um, you know, before I listened to the other message, I called him. I said, what's up? He goes, Hey, Congrats. So I'm like, why? He's like, you just got drafted. I was like, I didn't. He's like, yeah. Told me by the Blue Jacks, blah, blah. And I looked at it. I had like another voicemail from the organization saying congrats, everything like that. Um, it was it was pretty cool because it, it was a fun ride home. You know, smiling every year. And I got home and my mom had balloons on the mailbox and everyone was happy. And all my friends from the neighborhood, everyone, you know, calling, calling me and that sort of thing. But it, it's just, it's, it is what it is. Like, I think after not getting drafted the first year and then getting drafted the second, it, like and I, you see a lot. It's like a, it's a, it's a sign of like prestige for a lot of people. Like, oh yeah, I got drafted. But after not getting drafted the first year, I realized I, get, I was like, I didn't care. Not because I didn't think I was good enough, but I just didn't care because it was just like a status symbol. Like it, it, just, it means you played well up until that point. People think it's the coolest thing. To, it is cool to get drafted. It's very nice. I don't want to take anything away from it. Well, because that team more or less owns your rights to go to camp, I guess. Which, which is a good thing that someone thinks enough. For you that i assume you go to camp and but but uh yeah it's it sounds like you kind of um appreciate maybe you didn't care as much but appreciate a little bit more the fact that uh it didn't happen the first year and now you're 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 uh, actually drafted and it looks like you played the this like the spring of following your college hockey you got called up for columbus and uh yeah it was just after we lost in the hockey's finals and it was kind of it was back and forth, like whether, whether should I, shouldn't I, should I just go back to my senior year? And if I'm being really transparent, if I'd really looked into it and kind of listened that, um, you know, I, I really wish I had had someone close enough to talk to to really run it by, you know, and really kind of sit me down and say, hey, listen, like, there's going to be an NHL lockout that next year, probably. Like, you should stay in school, finish your education. And then you get stronger, bigger, all that stuff. And then, you know, after your senior year, you'll be more ready. 
especially with I had an injury injury my junior year, um, and I really didn't have anyone close enough to do that with. Um, you know, I had my mom and sister, um, and unfortunately, kind of going back, my my dad had passed away my senior year of high school, so my last year at junior, he had passed away um, from cancer. So I didn't really have, you know, I'm sure if she was ready, probably would have steered me in the right direction. Um, but at the same time, it's really tough and I really tough for people to probably understand that. But when your whole life is built on getting into the NHL and a team's offering you a contract and they're saying, hey, you're going to go right to the NHL, it's hard to turn down. I don't care what anyone says. And um, when that was right there, put in my face, it was, it was almost like, I, I don't need to think about this. My my dreams coming true, and um, I, I took that decision and set the play. Yeah, because I have a few questions about that. I know in other sports, for example, NBA, it, it's a big decision if you're actually going to enter the draft, and people are saying you first of all you're going to get a lot of guaranteed money by being drafted. There's not many rounds in the NBA, and then you know likely chance you're going to make the team if you're a low pick. And to, to bypass that and go back to college another year, um, that, that, that's got to be a tough decision for players. Hockey plays out a little bit differently because there's absolutely no guarantee just because you're drafted, you're, you're going to make it uh, more difficult in hockey. So I could, I could see your decision making around that. Now, is it because could you go back to college after you played those games for well, Columbus or that? No, I couldn't the, go back. That's yeah. where it's different. And, uh, yeah. man. If they if they allowed me to do that, I would have I would have gone back in a heartbeat. I I realized. Yeah. I mean, I remember my first shift. I lined up there next to Sergey Fedorov, and uh, Sanders Olsenich was the defenseman. I was going up covering, and that first shift, I I think I was up there for like forty five seconds to a minute, just trying to chase the puck around. And it was like, you know what I mean? Like, and I wasn't good at that, like really good. And I just like, cool. I hope this gets easier. Then like the schedule went like Detroit, Car like Detroit twice, Colorado, like. Buffalo. It was just, you know, I saw Steve Eisman, Brett Hall, Sackick, all these guys, and I was just like, so, so, so that first game though, uh, were your parents watching? Did they get to see you and your games live? Was yeah, my mom and sister were able to fly up, and uh, that was that was really cool. Yeah. As cool as it was, it was an eye opening experience. It was it was really one of those times we were going, I messed up. So, so that was your first game against Anaheim. Yeah, I mean, I lined up right yeah. her off. I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever, and. Yeah. You quickly realize how good fourth liners are, right? <laughs> like, yeah. and even, even at that point, when you had the guys that were fighting, even those guys that, that were fighters are, are good players. That's right. And I think the yeah. person who listening to this or watching doesn't understand that. Sure. Yeah. So, um, for, for listeners' appreciation of this, so you play these games, Columbus, 2003. Your next return to the NHL is 2009. And you play one game with the Islanders, and then you move on to Colorado Avalanche and play um, 29 games. I'm not, I'm not lessening the other experience because I want you to talk about the other pro experiences in Europe. But that's still remarkable. The fact that um, you know, I'm sure there's other things you can do. You you are getting paid probably reasonably well with uh, either NHL contract money or AHL money, but to to hang in there between those years still wanting the dream of the NHL the six years in between that, that, that can't be easy to uh, taste it and then stay disciplined to return. Well, people don't, you know, I'm going to try to make this as short as possible, but 
people understand is so I that next year was the lockout year. That was a tough one. And then the following year after that, I was with the team in Syracuse, set to make, you know, GM came in, this is our team, uh, for the for the playoffs. And the next day I was traded. Um and then and then that's following year, I, did, I didn't have a contract. I couldn't get one anywhere. Um, I was playing the United Hockey League for a couple of games, and I almost just I ended up calling one of my best friends who actually works with the Predators right now. And um, I almost quit and just joined the military because I was like, I, I can't, you know, I went from NHL to AHL to like nothing. Like, so he said, no, nope, go over to Sweden for a year. I, went, I took a year, uh, played in the Elsvenska League in Sweden. And then I got fortunate when I came back, I signed with uh, an American League deal with the Binghamton Senators. Had a really good year, and then that next year they uh, auto offered me an NHL contract. I just kind of worked my way back up from from there. So literally, I was almost out of hockey, and then just kind of reset myself when I went over to Europe. I just I I didn't even have a good year there, but I just came back and I reset myself. I said, okay, what made me a good hockey player from the get go? And it was always my work ethic. And at some point during that time, um, I don't know if it was a confidence there or getting just into pro hockey, but I just kind of it just wasn't. It was there, but it wasn't where it needed to be to get what I wanted. And I just set myself when I came back, I said, I am not going to, I'm, I'm just like, I just said, I'm, I'm, it's not happening again. Like it's, I'm all in. It's, it's 110%. And, um, played really well that first year back, uh, when I played in Binghamton that next year, I didn't miss a single game. And I actually, you know, truth be told, probably deserved to get called up that year. Um, didn't happen. And, um, Went with the Islanders organization and um, ended up getting a, a call up there, which is uh, which is nice because I think I I my when I tell stories about it, I don't really count those first six games with Columbus because I I didn't feel like I actually when I look back at it I didn't actually earn them as a pro I earned them for what I did in college and that's not the same I earned the games in the NHL with the Islanders with Colorado because of what I did as a pro in the American league level. And those games meant so much more to me than the first six ever, ever has. So then going to play that game and getting that call made me, um, gave me confidence because I, I played a really good game. We played against the Penguins. Um, you know, I had some shots, I had some shifts. I, I played really well. And, um, I unfortunately I was sent back down the next day, but, it reinvigorated me. And then that next year I talked to, um, Dave Quinn, Dave Oliver, uh, Dave Quinn, the coach of the San Jose Sharks said, Hey, I wanted to come here. You know, we're going to do everything I can to get you in the NHL. You come have a great training camp. If you don't make the team, you know, you come down to the American league and, you know, we expect to be a leader and, and do the right things and play hard and do this, that, and the other thing. And sure enough, I, I did those things and um, I was re- rewarded with the call up. So it sounds like looking back, you, you still wanted, you still had your eyes on the prize to make the NHL and your, your perseverance. It, it sounded like it was really unfinished business. Had you not got back to the NHL, am I correct? Goal was always to play an NHL game, right? The next was like, no, I want to be a full-time NHL. I, that, that was always the goal. I wanted to, to be there and prove to myself and that anyone else that doubted me, like I could do it, you know? And it, it was just something I, I felt I always, it was in my, Mike Rasp to do because you, when you're when you're in it and you see other guys get called up around you, you might not get called up because that guy's a draft pick and you're not. Uh, that guy they need a they need a fighter, so and that guy's a fighter, he's getting called up. Um, and you just have to adopt the role. And you know, 
I just said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a, a great PK guy. That's going to be my thing. I'm going to PK and I'm going to block shots and I have a good stick and I'm going to work hard. And then, you know, the chips are going to fall where they, where they lie. So maybe you can tell us about the, um, the Colorado experience. Cause that, that's the team you played the most games with 29 games, 2010 after, uh, playing with, uh, the Lake Erie monsters. So, um, what was that experience like? Your your longest stretch within your career? Yeah, that was that was great from the get go. Um, like I said, Lake Erie, those guys treated me really well as one of the captains, and I was at a point at that time I was over a pointed game, and I was playing really well. And someone got injured. I showed up for um, we had a game that night. We we're going to play Milwaukee, and I showed up, and you know, I, I was really friendly with the coaching staff just because I, I knew them and called me and they're like hey you gotta talk blah blah i'm like okay and you know what's going on you're going up i was like you know to hear that i don't think you know there's some movies out there that people watch but to hear that after a long wait it's 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 cool it's cool to hear that you're going up and it's like where we're playing though like you're gonna get a rental car you're gonna drive down because we're playing in columbus so i'm like i'm playing against the blue jackets my first game up against a team that drafted me um First game there, I scored the game-winning goal. It was a short-handed goal. Um, and, um, yeah, and then I was just up there in the hotel in Colorado, and I was there, and I was playing well. You know, some nights I was playing uh, only two or three minutes a night, and then, actually, you know, some nights I was end up playing, you know, 16, 17 minutes. Uh, some nights I was playing uh, fourth line, just grinding it out, and the next nights I'm playing, you know, with Ryan O'Reilly as my center, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, one minute or it, it's I just always had to be ready for whatever. I had to be kind of a Swiss Army knife and be ready for whatever the situation called. Um, you know, I remember one night we got matched up against Ovechkin's Ovechkin's lineup the whole night. And my my mom and sister were in there. We were in Washington D.C. My one of my captains from juniors was there, and he's like, I "Can't believe you're out there." It's Ovechkin shadowing him, blah blah, and all this stuff. And it was just, um, you know, if you'd asked me that, I had that situation when I was 21. I'd be like, "Oh, that was so crazy, blah blah." At that point, I was 28. I was kind of like, "Yeah, just going to work." Yeah. But, uh, like all these stars and you're one of them right (laughs) well just kind of hanging out with guys and um yeah it's it it was an experience i'll never forget Um, you know having you know guys you know kids just people that i knew they were like hey i got you my fantasy team how you feeling you're gonna play well you got a couple goals like you're just like what are you talking about (laughs) um so yeah before i move on to other things you're doing in your life now greg you're, you, you, I said before you made a long pro career, so listeners might be interested in your experiences in Switzerland. And it, it, it sounds like, you know, you stayed in hockey, you're trying to get back to NHL. You made the NHL. You weren't able to stay on after 2010. Maybe you can share your reflections on, on, on when you weren't able to get back and the decisions you made to move on to Switzerland. Yeah. Um, I'm sure like every player, I think they probably think they deserve to be there. And I, I really felt I deserved to be there. Um, you know, you look at the numbers of when I was playing in Colorado, like they were, they were good for what I was doing. Um, but then, yeah, that next year I had, a, had some concussion problems, everything like that. And there's going to be a lockout. Um, and I remember just talking to my agent and he's like, Hey, team in Switzerland wants you. They want you as the fifth import. Um, they can only dress four imports, but they want you as the fifth. Um, it's going to be good money. So it's a great place. Uh, I said, okay, I'll go over there. I'll try it out for a year and then maybe come back. Well, I ended up winning a spot and became one of the four imports. And by 
think it was like November. They, t- they offered me a two-year uh, extension. Couldn't turn it down. And then I fell in love with the place that where I was in, uh, in free work. So I ended up playing a total of five years there um, and then moved on to the DEL in Germany. Played a year there and then signed out with Zagreb, Croatia. Unfortunately, the financial problems there only weren't very good. We only got paid two months that we were there. So the team folded and then I ended up in Norway uh, for the rest of that season. And then the following season, uh, which ended up being, uh, we we're first in the league, set to make a really good playoff push, uh, probably win a championship. And then COVID happened. Uh, COVID happened and then, um, I was just sitting around doing nothing. I, you know, I almost signed up with a team in France. And then they got shut down because of COVID. And then my good friend, the one that's in Nashville, said, "Hey, USA Hockey, uh, US National Development Team's looking for a coach, an assistant coach." So that was on a Thursday. Kind of threw it out there. I, had an in- I talked with the head coach that, that night. By Friday, I had a formal Zoom interview. By Saturday, they had offered me the job, and I was like, "Okay, I'm taking it." Took the job. It was a great experience. Got to meet a lot of good kids, a lot of good players. Um, was there for about a year and a half. Um, and then I guess, yeah, a couple of seasons ago, um, with all the NHL teams having taxi squads, they needed a uh, team, uh, Kalamazoo, uh, wings in Michigan. They needed players. I hadn't played a year and a half, two years. So I was like, oh yeah, I'll come and help out. Once you get back to playing when you haven't played in a long time, uh, you know, literally I, I'd skated a couple of times on my by myself one time with the kids that I coached and then I went right into a game and for a couple it was the best feeling ever to be back playing um and then somehow all these teams in Europe were like hey you're back playing like well I'm any team of noise like you're back playing like what are you doing like uh would you want to help us in the playoffs and I'm like whoa what's going on here I, you know I have a job I, I coach and then I you know I try I talked to some people there at USA Hockey and everyone was like we, you, we all know you love playing. We all know that you only quit because of COVID and took this job. Like everyone sees it. The kids see it. Every everyone saw it. And they so I had to talk to them. I said, uh, talk to my boss. I said, listen, I, I know uh, I'm supposed to finish up the rest of this year, but I, I have to go back and play. He he was cool about it. He's like, yeah, I understand. So I ended up going back playing that season in Norway. Um, won the championship, playoff MVP, and then the team. Hey, you want to come on back? So moved us to this this past year once again we won the championship and then uh the, the season they said hey you want to come back and play again and i was like i don't know they're like if you don't want to come back we want you to coach so i ended up signing on uh i'm gonna play again another year here so and which team will that be for uh the stavanger stavanger oilers in norway oh, wow yeah, yeah so yeah is is the um, the salary what you've done in these years? Is it sufficient enough to keep doing what you're doing these years? Is it has it been worthwhile? The NHL is the NHL. You're gonna make money at all that stuff, but some of the leagues, especially Switzerland, you can make some really really good money. And if you get with some really good people and financial people, like I've been able to surround myself with, you can make it go a long way. You can make it work for you um, to the point where you know, like. I'm not saying I'm like sitting there swimming through money by any means like that, but um, I've you know like people have, have done a good job helping me out and steering me in the right directions where I can. In time out, I guess it helps. I'm single. I don't have wife, kids, or anything like that, so I can make more for myself, right? I can, I can make decisions 
based on what's good for me. And I do have other things at my, my fingertips. And that year, the three years that I had coaching, um, got me a ton of connections with scouting, uh, player development, um, and coaching also. So, Well, it's a remarkable career to be playing 2003 with Columbus and – you know, the, the records here show 2021 Kalamazoo and then you're telling me you're still playing in Europe. That That's really incredible to be in your, your 40s now and still playing, right? That's uh, pretty remarkable. So I want to touch on the uh, inclusionary aspect again. I mentioned before, I, I think it's really remarkable that you're the, the fifth African-American born player, um, according to my research. So there's a whole experience that you've had quite different than many um, African-American athletes having this hockey experience. So what, what has that meant to you? And, and do you foresee you playing a role in the future in terms of your experiences that you've had? Um, I guess thinking about that stuff, it, it, I never really thought about it so much, to be honest. I remember when I was at USA hockey too, like I was the first uh, African-American coach in, in history. And I was like, okay, yeah, like, uh, you know, like, yeah, okay. Um, I never really thought about that stuff. I still don't. But the thing is, it's kind of like the way it was for Mike Greer to me and me for other people. He didn't have a choice. You know what I mean? He, I saw him all the time. I, I looked up to him. So, and that's, I don't have a choice. The only choice that I have is to like do the right things, be respectful, all those kind of things, but be who I am. But people are going to look up to me other African-American players, they're going to look up to me just because of that. Um, and that's just the way it is. And I, I relish in that role. I, I enjoy it, you know, being able to help anyone out uh, in that situation. You know, people ask me for tips or how to do with this, or some parents will reach out to me, especially with social media. It's so easy to get a hold of me. And hey, I need with this as a kid and blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to navigate this. And um, so it, it's kind of, Sometimes you just don't ask for things. Just that's just the way, it, and it's on you. And, and uh, you're a role model just because of what you do and who you are. Yeah, and I I just find it interesting that you are a role model if you choose to be as an athlete, and and everyone looks up to you, black or white. But just as you said that uh, the effect that Mike Greer, Anson Carter, just knowing they were out there, that representation aspect. Not that that was a deal breaker for you. <laughs> the only reason why you continued on playing, but it must be comforting when you're playing at the University of Massachusetts and there were other um, equity-deserving groups watching. It, sometimes it just sort of helps make open up the game and make people feel more included. Yeah, oh, it did. Uh, I know at UMass, uh, it was awesome, you know, like, except on campus and everyone has their, you know, everyone knows who an athlete is and everyone's like, what do you play? Like hockey. All the basketball and football guys are like, Wait, what? And Sure enough, like when they all found out that, you know, started coming to games, they're like, wait, he's your leading scorer? You know what I mean? And then that I got drafted and everyone started coming to games like, hey, you got to cheer on, you got to cheer on our man here. And then it was like, everyone like had so much respect for me. It, it was not just for me, but they were like, this is awesome. This is growing the game because now we had not just, you know, white students coming to the game so much, but now we had all the basketball and the football guys wanted to see me and be like, hey, he's, he's representing us as an African American. Uh, so broaden their game. And then they started to ask me questions like, oh, tell me about the rules, tell me about this. Like, so they started to understand the game, the nuances of the game, not just watching it. And that's what I was getting at too. If you take a uh, comparable of your family and you kind of stumbled into the game and you're around the Bruins and all that, but 
if you take a Greg Molden and you drop a Greg Molden on every team of that Hockey East team, how does how does that change things in terms of perception of who plays and who watches the game and who might be involved in different ways in the game? So that that's why I think it's really uh, really um, remarkable and these you know efforts of all the players in collection should be applauded. Whether you feel you're having that effect or not, you know, I'd argue you are. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate that. It's uh, it, it means a lot, you know. It, especially now that I'm that I'm old and I get to see how the NHL looks now in comparison to when it was just maybe Anthony Carter or Mike Greer or George Larock. Um, it's, it's really cool. And I, I, I look at a lot of those players and I, maybe I didn't pave the way necessarily, but I know I was, you know, I was there, you know, maybe for one of one of the two of those guys that said, you know, like I did it, like I can do it. Yeah. And I asked you those questions earlier too, about who you played minor hockey with, because I don't, Although it's great and everyone's striving for the NHL to uh, look more different and having more, more representation. Um, you know, you start seeing at younger ages in other sports, football, basketball, um, other things, uh, baseball. So again, I, th- I think people are kind of curious what, what would it take just to have more people involved and diversified at, at a young age and, and then what would happen if they get involved at a young age? Yeah, I think the best thing, the thing about hockey is I think, if you watch a game on TV and you're not really sure what's going on, it can it can be like. Eh. But anytime someone goes to a game and it gets close to the, you know what I mean, close, and they see how fast and how big, and how strong, and all the little nuances of it, that's when people fall in love with it. And that's what happened to me. I saw, you know, I saw alumni right against firefighters, and I was there watching. And I was like, oh my god, this is this is unbelievable, and. It doesn't really stop. It kind of keeps flowing. Like it's completely different. It's you're in a fishbowl. Like it, it's it's so different that I think when anyone, whether black, white, whatever, gets on it for the first time or sees it for the first time or plays it for the first time, they're immediately like, "Oh, this is pretty cool." Like this is it. And I, I, what happens in in life is sometimes people make it look so easy that. Oh uh, yeah, I can just do that. And it's like, wait a second. I have to stand on an eighth of an inch blade, two eighth of an inch blade, holding a puck with the stick, you know, stick hammer while trying to score and not get it taken away while these guys are trying to take my head off and, and hit me. Um, you know, it's, it has everything. It has everything. Fast action packed game. That's for sure. And then the other benefits we talked about with uh, youth hockey, the relationships and the, uh, the character that, it, that it builds and the, um, the discipline, right, that you sort of get from having to uh, follow a schedule and wake up and train and everything. So I, I think from that standpoint, for hockey, more than other sports, because ice is so uh, expensive, you gotta you gotta use it every every ounce of it, every you know inch of that ice to your to just that side of your disposal. You gotta use it all. And, um, like anything on ice, no one can do it for you. You know, guys can take you to the rink, but they can't put the work in for you. Coaches can tell you to do this, but they can't do it for you. Yeah. It's not like it. I, I think it sets yourself up. Sports in general, but there's something about hockey that's just different because you're immediately ingrained that you have to get up early in the morning. That's a huge part of why, for me, I think winning. It. So I'd like to ask you then, what advice would you give to young hockey players today? My biggest advice for hockey players today would be watch full games. Don't watch Instagram or YouTube highlights. Watch full games. Pick a player that you like and don't when i say pick a player you like don't pick like 
oh, I'm just going to watch McDavid. Hey, I'm not sure to watch Matt. Like, watch, watch other players. Watch a, you know, maybe take a game, watch a, a first line game, watch a second guy, watch a third line guy, watch a fourth line. You know what I mean? Like, watch the game and study it. Be a student of the game. Just don't try to master the highlight zero moves between the legs and, um, think the game. Think the game and understand why you're doing things or what you're trying to do. I, I, and I found this so much too when I was coaching young kids at the U.S. program. It was all about making like a highlight a lot of the times, uh, or trying to go some sick move when the simple just use your speed and skate around them, or you know one head fake and gone the other way, uh, puck protection. But most importantly, like those things. But just love it, love what you're doing, um, anything. I've I've seen I've come across way too many kids that don't truly love it they just do it because they're good enough at it and i saw that uh when i turned pro two guys because they were just good enough at it um and the only reason i'm still playing now is because i truly love the game the same way i did when i first saw it i, I still do it and, they, and my teammates always say it they're like man we're getting back skated today blah blah, blah. And you're over here laughing i'm like yeah because someone decided to pay me to back skate today to stay in shape like i'm here for at the rec for maybe three hours throughout the day working out, staying in shape, and playing hockey. Tell me where I'm, I'm losing it. So love the game and enjoy all of it. Find the fun in all of it, whether it's bag skates, the, the the road trips, the times when you're playing, you know, three games at four nights, or, you know, enjoy that stuff. I'd also tell them, too, sometimes when the coaches get mad at you or the coaches are upset and they're yelling, don't listen to the tone that they're saying it and just listen to the message because I think there's a lot of good messages that are missed because kids are too busy hearing the screaming or whatever. They're not really listening to the actual message of what's being said. And uh, a lot of good messages get overlooked because of that. And also I'd say, you know, like if you want to go get it, but really go get it, you know, make sure you're doing, because I always get a lot of people saying, yeah, I'm all in. I would do whatever it takes. Well, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. I've heard that. I've said that before, but you don't know what it is until kids say your back's against the wall. And I've been there where I'm like, Hey, I'm, I couldn't get a contract. And then you find out who you really are. It's easy to be comfortable when kids are going, well, you score our goals and blah, blah, blah. And you know, everyone's patting you on the back, but what happens when it's not going that way? Then you find out who you are. And if you're really all in, because that's when you're going to see what kind of person you're made of when your character comes out. And I found out that time when I didn't have a I go to Sweden. I found out what my character was and how bad I really did love the game and wanted to play. So I guess those are a little bit of that. I kind of went on a little tangent, but that's some of the message I would kind of give. Well, thanks, uh, Greg, for uh, taking your time to sharing your um, childhood experiences and pro experiences. I think many people can sort of take a lot from the experiences you've had. It's been uh, really fascinating to listen to your your journey and your uh, childhood experiences and your commitment to uh, staying focused to chasing the dream in the NHL. And then still continuing on and having the passion to continue to play. So we'll be watching <laughs> from a distance to sort of see uh, how much longer you continue to keep playing and loving the game, which I think is amazing. Oh, thank you. I appreciate having me. We're proud to be working with Hockey Equality. Hockey Equality is on a mission to create diversity at all levels of the game of hockey. By lowering financial barriers for BIPOC female and other equity deserving youth hockey players. If you've been moved by the stories shared on this podcast, 
and want to help make hockey accessible to all, check out hockeyequality.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to share this story with your kids, then check out My Hockey Hero. It's shorter and suitable for the whole family. You can click the link in the show notes or find it wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Podstarter production. production.